Okay, so let's get started. Today's episode, we are talking about First Nations Trust, and I have a very special guest with us today, Suzanne Troche, who is the president of First Nations Bank Trust for the First Nations Bank of Canada. Welcome, Suzanne. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Jody. It's really, really great to be here. I want to talk about the entry into the trust services and the and the product line that First Nations Bank of Canada can now offer to our First Nation communities. Yeah, we've got lots to talk about. So let's get into that. So how long has First Nations Bank of Canada started? And I know that you've been working with First Nation communities for many, many, many years, which is incredible. So I'm very happy to see you enter into the trust space and offer this opportunity and service to our communities. So tell us a little bit about your product. So First Nations Bank uh, launched the trust company formally in August of 2020. So, and I joined in July of 2020. So it's been coming on three years now. Uh, the bank itself was offering trust advisory services, though, for many, many years prior to the official launch of the trust company in 2020. So the bank itself has been around for over 26 years and has helped dozens of communities, First Nations, Inuit and Métis governments and organizations on managing their wealth and setting up trust. So officially then since 2020 in the summer, we offer now trust administration. So we have the ability to be a trustee um, and we continue to do trust advisory services as well. But the new part of our offering is now the trustee and trust administration services. For some of our listeners out there who don't quite understand maybe what a trustee or a corporate trustee is. Can you explain what that means? Yeah. So what it is, is if we back up and say, well, what is a trust? Because that's not something that we're taught or it's, it's something we use in everyday kind of language. And so what it is, is when there's property or money that someone wants to manage, have managed on behalf of someone else. And that can be multiple individuals, you know, when we talk about who that property or money is being managed for. And really, it's between those three parties. And that's uh, an agreement. A trust is really an agreement. It's a contract. And so you've got the individuals who create the trust, and they're in legal language called the settler, but settler with an O, not an E at the end. So there, that's a that's a loaded word, but in legal language, it's the creator of the trust. And typically that's the First Nations government, chief and council on behalf of the citizens of the nation. And then there's the beneficiaries. So those citizens of the nation for which those monies and that property is being managed for the benefit of the community as a whole. And in between is the trustees. Uh, It can be one trustee. It could be a board of trustees. And those trustees have a legal responsibility and they have obligations to manage that money in the best interests of the beneficiaries. So, So that's a trust. So it involves investing. It involves dispersing the money for purposes and reasons that are set out in that trust agreement. And typically, 
citizens will vote and they'll have a lot of input on what the purposes of the trust are, what, how, what are the short-term benefits that they'll receive and what are the longer-term benefits that many, many generations will receive if it is a, what we call a long-term or legacy trust. Absolutely. And, you know, I've recently been appointed as a trustee to my own community's Legacy Trust, which is a really large learning curve. But it's very exciting to look at the new types of clauses and things that are being put into the agreement and the uses of the trust and, and how these monies are being used. Because in a lot of cases, this is monies for the next seven generations. And has to be invested responsibly, used responsibly. And as you mentioned earlier, there's a lot of outreach to the communities in terms of how they want to see these money used. But policy is a big piece of that in ensuring that decisions are made appropriately and align with community values and how the community really wishes to be consulted on larger decisions. In your experience, what are some of the newer or changes that we're seeing? Because trusts today are not like they were 20 years ago. We're seeing a lot of new ideas come forward and how things are being used and decided upon. So what would you say are some of the key aspects of building and considering that communities need to know when they're looking at trust agreements? Yeah, it's a great question, Jody, and congratulations on uh, becoming a trustee of your nation's trust. It, it is you. a huge opportunity to really have a positive, lasting impact in your community. So congratulations on that. Uh, in terms of uh, what should someone be aware of if their community is setting up a trust, I think there's there's key pieces. One is the government's meaning who will have, like if there's going to be one trustee or a board of trustees, for example, that would be part of the governance and understanding what role they're going to be playing, how are they going to be appointed or elected, and what role the elected leaders and elders and any other decision makers in the community, how will they have a role or not in the governance of the trust? Because there's so many different ways to set up a trust. So I think that would be one of the elements as a citizen of a nation, I would want to know what is that going to look like? And what is the scope of their decision making abilities? The next element that I would want to know is what are the purposes of the trust, how can the money be spent and on what can it be spent and what are the conditions around releasing the monies and how will that, how will that align with what the nation already has in place if you've got a comprehensive community plan, if you've got your annual, you know, stri- you know, budgeting process, like how will the trust fit into that overall picture of wellness for the community? Because there's so many different um, pieces uh, around a community's sort of vision and planning for the future for today and for, for many generations. So I would want to know how is the trust agreement going to 
build on those as opposed to say operating in a silo as though none of that exists. So it, and, and you can do that. We do see nations who set up trust completely distinct and separate from everything else. But I think what we're seeing as a best practice is more when the trust can be complementary to what is already being done in terms of planning, strategizing and, and uh, identifying all the needs, whether it be infrastructure, health and wellness, all of those needs of the community, how will the trust play a role and how will the monies be released? And I guess the only last part I would say is understanding how the trust agreement can be changed or amended because that's the fine line that you want is you want that trust agreement. If it's a legacy trust for the long term, you want it to be robust and to last for many, many, many years. But that means you would want less ability to change the trust agreement just for, you know, for significant matters. If, if someone comes along and wants to dismantle the trust, is that really what you want to be able to do and how easy or not can that be done so I think those are kind of some of the key elements I would want to know, but there's so many other decisions around reporting, how will the members, how will citizens know about the trust activities, that transparency and accountability? Are there loans that are going to be allowed to be secured by the trust property and monies or the annual payment, if there is going to be one going to the, the nation? So there's there's just so many different exciting ways that you can make your trust work for your nation. You really hit on, uh, you know, some really key and sometimes contentious issues inside the community because it really goes back to the purposes over the overall vision of the community. And that's different right across Canada. One community, you know, is very unique to another community in terms of what they would like to see or how they would like to see that trust use. And so, language inside of the agreement is extremely important. And sometimes it's what we don't know that can come back to haunt us and ensuring those clauses are there to protect the overall trust and the community from somebody coming in, like you said, and depleting that capital or encroaching on the capital by a significant amount, which can really have uh, negative implications down the road. Absolutely. So let's talk about some of the types of projects and programs that you might be seeing communities invest in. What are some of the overall pillars that seem to be quite popular or unique in some cases? It's such a broad spectrum. We you know, from the trust, we see anything from clean energy, projects to mining to potash (laughs) lots of land acquisitions elders centers community centers paving roads in the community greenhouses for the youth to learn as part of schooling and to grow vegetables and fruits for the community year-round we a radio station up north for, again, for high school and but for the community to have better communications where it's quite remote. We also see some nations deciding to do quarterly, small, but quarterly payments to their members 
to share the wealth in a way that can, you know, help with their intergenerational wealth building. So we see that. We see spending for new claims, for being able to pursue claims uh, for other wrongs that have been done. So it's it's really such a broad spectrum that we see. And as you said, Jody, every nation is different. They've got different needs and priorities. And I think it's it's just really important to make sure that the trust has the ability to support mm-hmm. the nation's prioritization of their needs. So there is not a uh, competing a competing kind of governance structure in the community. If the trust is created as a standalone and it's actually running programs, we do see a lot of scholarship programs as well being run out of the trust. I think what we find is a a best practice is when the trust, the scholarships are, you know, that's run by the nation so that the trust you know, does disperse those monies to the nation for their existing scholarship program, or so they can offer another scholarship program. We find that once a trust and the trustees start to run programs, it creates some friction with the nation because they're running programs and services. That's what a government does, right? And so to have the trustees do that can start to create some overlap and then some That's right. And it is, it's a competing level of government inside of the community or governance inside of the community, which ultimately you should probably try and avoid, um, you know, the, the chief and council are elected officials in their community who have been given the authority to make decisions and to manage these things. You know, you mentioned managing wealth earlier, and I think that's a big, big and important topic because, Often what we're seeing is partial per capita distributions to community members. And then what happens is community members are coming into monies at at levels maybe they haven't seen before, or maybe they don't have experience managing wealth. And financial literacy is a big topic and one that's very near and dear to my heart. I, I do believe that, you know, one of the services that should always be made available to community members is learning about financial literacy and what are some of the options rather than just taking whatever that PCD looks like, whether it's $500 or whether it's $20,000, how are you going to spend that? Are you going to invest it? And how do you make that last? Because oftentimes those are not principles that um, we've been taught over time. You know, it's very hard to manage wealth when you don't have wealth. And so financial literacy is a big piece that needs to happen and not just, you know, uh, later on in our lives, but at a very early, early stage. And, um, you know, even with our our young ones, I have a five-year-old at home and I'm starting to teach him about what it means to set money aside or donate money or um, you have X amount for a budget. And I think that's so important for Uh, members to access when they're coming into these types of payments? I think, you know, so First Nations Bank, one of the reasons we uh, formally launched the trust company is we saw the need for more financial wellness training and capacity building across Canada with First Nations, Inuit and Métis people. So that's 
really ingrained in what we do when we offer trust services. So we have training for personal, we call it personal financial wellness. So it's about teaching about needs versus wants. You know, I, I need to have a card to get to my job. I want the new Xbox, whatever. Is that, is that really a need though? Or is that, that's like a want. So we Mm -hmm. go through the differences between needs and wants and walk through building, as you said, a budget, a plan for how to make sure that there's money there for all the needs that you have. And then hopefully for some of the wants as well, because life has got to be about in, you know, yes, there's things we have to pay for food or groceries our gas money or, you know, a car, if, a vehicle, if we need to, to get to work or whatever, but it's how do we plan for things in the future? I want to take a trip. I want to go down South. So we go through that. We also, and we do that with the youth. As I think you and I've talked about before, we do all about trust bingo. We've got financial wellness bingo. There's all kinds of apps that we've tried out and recommend for people who want to do personal budgeting. There's ways to figure out how much you need to save if you want to make a down payment on a house. There's all kinds of tools out there. So we go through a lot of that as well and try to just share knowledge on what are the options. And then, you know, we go through taking on debt, you know, what is good debt versus maybe not so good debt, Mm -hmm. you know, which is credit card debt and why you have to be careful with that. What is an interest rate? What does that cost? Right. And how do you shop around for the best options, even just for a bank account, knowing Mm -hmm. what to look for and ask your bank, make sure they're not charging you fees that you don't need. Right. So it's, it's just that knowledge sharing. And we do that as part of everything. Every meeting that we have is about building the capacity with our clients because knowledge is power, right? And that's part of that intergenerational wealth. You bet. And knowledge is power. And, you know, one of the questions we always get or often get at the FNFA is, can we leverage our trust to borrow? Can we leverage our, our trust to finance projects inside of the community? And it's never a black and white answer. It's, uh, you know, while it depends, we really need to look at the language inside of the trust agreement and what your trust agreement says about leveraging the capital or the revenue, which are two very different things and how who you can borrow from. And so it's always, again, back to our, you don't know what you don't know and relying on the experts to guide them through and walk them through the options that they need to watch out for. They need to consider when creating these agreements, which I think is really important and the capacity, you know, we don't just want somebody to come in, do a transaction and leave. This is really about building wealth and financial wellness, as you said. I really like that term as well. And so thank you for creating a space through an Indigenous lens as well to work with our communities and to work with our organizations so that that knowledge can be transferred to our communities. And they have somebody to reach out to that says, you know, these guys have been in this space for a really long time and they really know what they're talking about. And you... You guys have a fantastic team. And so tell us who's on your team and how do we get a hold of 
First Nations Bank Trust Services, Suzanne? Yeah, you know, I am very lucky with our team. A real shout out to the gals on the team. Uh, We've got Priscilla Bjors. She's our Senior Trust Officer and Business Development Officer. She's a CPA. She's Métis from St. Laurent in Manitoba. She's got a ton of experience with trusts and also training and capacity building on financial wellness. So her clients are just, yeah, really love working with her. We've got Kamana Bakati. She's from Lillawat Nation in BC, and she is also a CPA, so a chartered professional accountant. She also has many years of experience uh, with trusts and her clients love her as well. So she does a lot of training for CPA BC and for other organizations. So she's got that background as well. We've got Isabel LaRock, who is the trust uh, legal and compliance officer. She's a Cree Métis woman. She grew up in the Northwest Territories. And yeah, she just is just a whippersnapper. She also has many, many years of experience with trust and was also on the side of a litigation for settlement. So she's got that lens of, you know, the side of for those trusts that are created from settlement monies. Mm-hmm. Um, she's got that lens. But and then we've got our whole larger team, which is what we call our support functions who help with processing payments and sure. um, just opening bank accounts and investments. So we've got a whole team, but our team is 100% Indigenous. We're super, super proud of that. That's a real priority. And at the bank, it's 70% of our 120 employees are Indigenous. It's really a big priority for the bank to promote hiring and training and capacity building of Indigenous people. So in terms of how you get a hold of us, our numbers are on the website. I don't know, did you want me to say my email or? You know what, if you're okay, we would love to add that in the show notes for this podcast on how to get a hold of Suzanne and how to get a hold of First Nations Bank in general. We'll put the website in there, Suzanne. And Really appreciate. And, you know, one thing that always resonates with me and that I'm always proud to say when I'm interacting with communities or leaders is that, you know, um, Indigenous business is not a side arm of what we do. It is what we do. And I'm really excited to, uh, to have you with us today. Thank you so much for your time and energy to this. And, you know, I, I would really welcome communities to reach out to First Nations Bank and congratulations. You have a new CEO on board. Um, so lots of great change and excellent things happening at First Nations Bank. And again, Suzanne, thank you for all the hard work that you've done. I've followed you for a, a long time and I'm very proud to, to know you and see your continued success. Well, likewise, Jody, it's always a pleasure and thanks so much for the opportunity. It's been really great. Wonderful. Thank you, Suzanne. Miigwech. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Again, if you enjoyed this episode and want to learn more, please subscribe, share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review on your podcast provider. To catch all the latest episodes from FNFA, you can find us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. Miigwech.